Welcome to Los Angeles, the fabled city of angels. Home to palm trees, movie stars, Disneyland, and the American dream we know as Hollywood. It's a place of shadows and sunlight, myth and murder, and is the historical home to more cranks, nutcases, killers, and lunatics than you'll find just about anywhere else in the country. And welcome to the second episode of our new season of American Hauntings, which is hosted and produced by Cody Beck and is written and performed by Troy Taylor. That's me. In season five, we're taking a long, hard look at the history, mystery, spirits, scandals, and sins of Hollywood, that glamorous bit of Los Angeles that's not so much a place these days, but a state of mind. Each new episode will reveal another sordid Hollywood tale of crime, corruption, murder, and of course, ghosts. And none of them will be for the faint of heart. So make yourself comfortable and pour yourself a big, tall glass of water for this episode. You'll understand why soon. At just three minutes before midnight on March 12, 1928, the St. Francis Dam, which had been designed as a reservoir for the Los Angeles water supply, suddenly failed, releasing 11 billion gallons of water into a narrow valley in northeastern Los Angeles County, destroying everything in its path. Over the course of the next four hours, a roaring wall of water swept through the night, traveling 55 miles from the St. Francis Quito Valley through the Santa Clara Valley and then onto the Pacific Ocean. The dam had been built over the course of two years by William Mulholland, chief engineer and general manager of the Los Angeles Bureau of Waterworks and Supply. The concrete gravity arch dam should have been impregnable, but Mulholland's mistakes during the planning, which he took complete responsibility for, led to disaster. The devastating flood killed more than 600 people and its collapse is one of the worst American engineering failures in American history. The disaster marked the end of Mulholland's career and it left an eerie haunting in its wake. Water is the lifeblood of Los Angeles and there's no way to tell the story of LA without the story of how it got its water or the story of the ghosts that linger because of it. Water is and always has been the lifeblood of Los Angeles. It always has been. No matter how much money the movies or the oil business might make in Southern California, they can't exist without water. Quite simply, the city had been built in the desert. There is no local water supply for LA. And as the city grew, more and more water was needed and city officials, well, they'd do anything to get it. This meant building pipelines and aqueducts to bring in water from rivers and mountains away from the city. The aqueducts and the St. Francis Dam were the work of William Mulholland, an Irish self-taught engineer who had fought his way through the ranks of the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power. He made a name for himself as an innovative man, an engineer who got projects completed on time and most importantly, usually brought them in under budget. In 1913, he had built the Los Angeles Aqueduct, which at the time was the longest in the world, bringing water 233 miles from the Owens Valley to LA. But it wasn't enough because, well, it was never enough. Los Angeles and its growing population demanded, always demanded, more water. 
Using every kind of corruption and deceit imaginable, water rights were stolen from residents, farmers, and ranchers in the Owens Valley. This led to violence and sabotage, but it wasn't going to slow down the politicians in LA. Their constituents demanded water and they were determined to provide it. It also didn't slow down the Aqueduct's financial backers who became rich off the water rights they had taken from the Owens Valley folks who were now bankrupt and financially ruined. Mulholland was so disgusted by the way the water had been taken by the city that at the opening ceremony for the aqueduct, which should have been his proudest moment, he merely waved his hand at the water and said, quote, there it is, take it. Mulholland built more aqueducts in the 1920s, but there was never enough to quench the city's rabid thirst. Water had become so crucial to LA that 50 years later, the aqueducts would become a central plot theme to the classic film Chinatown, starring Jack Nicholson. It was obvious to Mulholland that a larger reservoir for water was needed. When he'd been designing the Los Angeles Aqueduct in 1911, Mulholland had considered sections of the San Francisco Canyon, beginning about 30 miles north of LA as a potential dam site. Conveniently, the aqueduct ran along the canyon and two generating stations located in the canyon used aqueduct water to provide electric power for the city. Mulholland saw the potential of the canyon to serve as a reservoir that would provide ample water for LA in case of a drought or if the aqueduct was damaged in an earthquake. Well, construction on the dam started very quietly in 1924. There was no press and no publicity. Mulholland didn't want the farmers who were dependent on the water from San Francisco Creek to realize what the city was up to. After the costly sabotage by Owens Valley farmers and landowners on the Los Angeles aqueduct years before, Mulholland and city officials wanted to keep everything very low key. They also wanted to avoid the scandal they'd faced after cheating Owens Valley ranchers out of the water this time around. The official plans for what became known as the St. Francis Dam, an anglicized version of the name of the valley, called for a curved concrete gravity dam. The basic principle of this type of dam was simple. The mass of the structure had to be great enough to hold against the pressure of the water behind it. But there was a problem, a very big problem. The rock at the dam site, red conglomerate rock, mica, and sandstone were less than ideal for construction. The conglomerate lost strength when it was wet, which <laughs> seems like a problem when building a dam, and the mica was a porous rock that was unstable under pressure. Needless to say, this reduced its effectiveness against the water pushing against it. Well, there were several ways to fix this problem, but Mulholland only used two installing drainage wells to reduce water in the rock under the dam and reducing the width of the dam and making it taller. Neither technique had been formally studied by trained engineers, but Mulholland, the self-taught genius, believed that they would work. Spoiler alert, they didn't. The dam was a disaster waiting to happen, but apparently no one noticed or they were afraid to speak up. As the reservoir began to fill in 1926, several cracks appeared in the dam and its supports. The cracks and leaks were inspected by Mulholland and his assistant, Harvey Van Norman, but they dismissed them, stating that there were cracks expected in a concrete structure the size of the new dam. By March 1928, the reservoir had reached full capacity. The water had risen steadily and uneventfully for almost two years, but by the middle of March, motorists traveling along the east shore reported cracks in a sagging roadbed near the dam's east support. On March 12th, the road was reported to have dropped more than a foot, which seems like a big problem, but 
I'm not an engineer. That same morning, the dam keeper, Tony Harnischfeger, discovered a new leak and immediately alerted Mulholland. He inspected the leak along with his assistant, Van Norman, but convinced it was relatively minor and normal for a concrete dam, Mulholland pronounced the structure absolutely safe. At three minutes before midnight on March 12th, the St. Francis Dam catastrophically failed. No one actually saw the dam collapse, but a motorcyclist named Ace Hopewell was riding about one half mile upstream from the dam at the time and reported that he felt a rumbling and the sound of, quote, crashing, falling blocks. He assumed the sensation was either an earthquake or one of the landslides that were common to the area and didn't realize at the time he would be the last person to see the dam intact and survive. Dam keeper Tony Harnischfeger and his family were, most likely, the first casualties caught in the wave of water that tore through the dam. The wave was at about 125 feet high when it hit their cottage in the canyon, about a quarter mile downstream from the dam. 30 minutes before the collapse, a motorist passing by the dam reported seeing lights in the canyon below the dam, and many believed that the lights could have been Harnischfeger inspecting the dam again immediately before its failure. He may have been nervous about the cracks that had been discovered earlier that day. The body of Leona Johnson, who lived with Tony's family, was found fully clothed and wedged between two blocks of concrete near the broken base of the dam. Neither the body of the dam keeper or that of his six-year-old son, Coder, were ever found. As the dam collapsed, 11 billion gallons of water surged down the canyon, demolishing the heavy concrete walls of the power station number two, destroying Tony's home, wiping out a camp of migrant workers, and devastating everything else in its path. The flood surged south through the canyon, flooding parts of present-day Valencia and Newhall. The deluge then followed the Santa Clara Riverbed to the west, flooding more towns. The water continued west through Santa Paula and Ventura County, emptying the victims and debris that it carried with it into the Pacific Ocean, 55 miles from the reservoir and the dam site. When it reached the ocean, the flood was almost two miles wide. Bodies of victims were recovered from the ocean, some as far south as the Mexican border. Many more were never found at all. To this day, the exact number of victims remains unknown. The official death toll in 1928 was 385, but the bodies of victims continued to be discovered all the way into the middle 1950s. Many bodies were swept out to sea when the flood reached the Pacific and were not discovered until they washed ashore. The remains of another victim was found deep underground near Newhall in 1992. The current death toll is estimated to be more than 600 victims, and this does not include the itinerant farm workers who were camped in the canyon. Immediately following disaster, Los Angeles officials wanted to put it behind them as quickly as possible. Because of this, official investigations and hearings were short and cursory. Mulholland publicly announced that he was willing to shoulder all the blame. He said that he, quote, envied those who were killed and went on to say, quote, don't blame anyone else. You just fasten it on me. If there was an error in human judgment, I was the human and I won't try to fasten it on anyone else. Although he did imply that the dam had been cursed or that it had been sabotaged, a coroner's inquest ruled that the disaster was caused by faulty rock on which the dam was built and blamed governmental organizations that oversaw the dam's construction and the dam's designer and engineer, William Mulholland. 
However, Mulholland was cleared of any charges since neither he nor anyone at the time could have known the instability of the rock formations on which the dam was built. At the time, Mulholland managed to escape severe criticism, and he won accolades for his courage and the responsibility that he took for the disaster. It was not until much later that evidence emerged that his arrogance and negligence were the real causes of the dam's collapse. Perhaps because of his lack of formal training, Mulholland relied more on experience and guesswork than on scientific study and data. Too proud and independent to hire expert consultants, as was the custom on most large engineering projects, Mulholland forged ahead and never submitted any of his plans for an independent safety review. None of his subordinates ever dared to question his judgment. The catastrophe haunted Mulholland and it marked the end of his career. He retired several months after the disaster and retreated into a life of self-imposed isolation. With almost no contact with the world, he died in 1935 at the age of 79. With thousands of homes destroyed and hundreds of people dead, the St. Francis Dam collapse remains a dark event in American history and was one of the worst disasters to ever take place in California. The calamity left an indelible mark on the landscape of Southern California and has earned a place in the annals of the supernatural as well. Over the years, St. Francis Quito Canyon has remained a sort of blighted spot, not far from Los Angeles, the thirsty city that had forced the dam to be built in the first place. The area where the dam keeper's cottage was once located and where many migrant workers were camped has been turned into a public park. But it's a place where remnants of the past still make themselves known today. It's been said that just about anyone who has lived in the canyon has had a ghost story. In 1986, a local historian was videotaping in a small cemetery, and his friend came out of a gully with a mysterious acid burn on his arm. When the pair got back to town, the historian found that his videotape was completely blank, even though frequent inspections during taping showed the video was good. He went back for a second shoot, and this time his camera caught fire in an odd case of spontaneous combustion. Well, the owners of the property weren't surprised. They mentioned that a half-ton watering trough had been mysteriously moved in the middle of the night by something that left no tracks. Another time, a man was painting his barn, and he happened to look up and see the wet palm print of a child impressed on the wood. There were no children anywhere nearby at the time. The large park located in the canyon is said to be one of the most haunted spots in the region. Here, where an unknown number of itinerant workers met their death in the floodwaters, visitors who have braved the place after dark say that many of the flood victims have remained behind. According to reports, strange things occur here at night, especially when it's foggy. Eerie voices are sometimes heard, people are touched, pushed, and caressed by invisible hands. And on other occasions, shadowy forms are seen walking in the mist. When approached, they always vanish. Who are these mysterious apparitions? Are they the doomed workers who perished in the flood? Or could they be the spirits of victims whose bodies have not yet been discovered? The answers to those questions, like the true number of the dead from the dam collapse, remain unknown. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language? And I don't mean like spells or incantations to trap spirits, you weirdos. I mean like a new language that could help you start communicating with more people on this plane today. Then I need to tell you about Rosetta Stone. Look, you know the brand, you know the name. 
They have the expertise and a 30-year legacy, which makes them more qualified than ever to help you learn a new language today. They've helped millions of people build the fluency and confidence to speak new languages. Now, this is the part where Troy would tell me that I made some kind of grammatical error, but he's not here right now, so like, I don't know, it's like speaking tongues. Rosetta Stone focuses on speaking practice for real-life scenarios to get you ready for real conversations with real people. Or maybe you can even learn how to use some different types of Ouija boards. I don't know. Either way, Rosetta Stone can help you learn faster and retain your new language better. Honestly, Rosetta Stone really would have come in handy for season four of New Orleans because I know we butchered some of those French names and I apologize once again. Now you all know I have a nine to five job when I'm not at the podcast factory and Rosetta Stone actually helped me not make a total fool out of myself while I was in Brazil interviewing celebrities. Obrigado. And now I want to help you. So don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, American Hauntings podcast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Rosetta Stone, how language is learned. Wait, by the way, Troy, like where do words come from? Hey, no, don't, 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 don't walk away. Oh, Troy, where do words Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. I was in a I was in a sensitive place, but I was so glad I got these outlines done before that because I was I didn't want to leave anything to chance. But yeah. Um. Anyway. Okay. You ready? Sure. I'm ready. All right. Thanks for tuning in to the American Hauntings podcast, the show where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the dark side of American history. We are now kicking off season five of the podcast, Haunted Hollywood. I'm your co-host, Cody Beck, and with me is my co-host, author, historian, crime buff, and the founder of American Hauntings, Troy Taylor. Hey, how are you? Oh, you know, I'm... I'm surviving. Oh, that's good. It's that's my good. birth. It's my birthday, Troy. No, it's not. It because is it's today. September fifteenth. But it is today. Okay, but we're not. Today. We're pretending like it's September fifteenth. But I've it already is. got a. You know, it says I don't care what the calendar says. As far as I'm concerned, it's fall because officially it's a week away. I just asked for one day a year, <laughs> and this is it. It's the one day I allow myself to be selfish. We were going to pretend that it was 
September 15th when you hear this, but instead, just so everyone knows, Break it's actually illusion. August 22nd. We're breaking so the illusion. Go, Cody. We're um, oh. a peek behind the curtain. Uh-huh. Well, right. Okay. Great. Well, let's fast forward into the future. What do we have coming up? Well, um, it, since it is fall, the Alton Hauntings tours have already started for the year. So uh, they started this past weekend. And actually, the River Road tours are all full now. So we don't have any of those left. Safe. Which, that's actually safe. Um, we do still have dinners left, though. Um, and as I think I've, I've mentioned before in our last episode, we moved all of our dinners to the Best Western Premiere, where we can limit the size of our groups and spread out for social distancing. You know, we've mm-hmm. got um, the food is right here. It's made here. It's fresh. It's hot. doesn't have to be transported anywhere and so everything is upgraded and clean and safe and we've really had a number of them over the summer and they went really well so um having the bar right next to the dining room is awesome a huge bonus yeah i mean a lot of people have been buying like bottles of wine and bringing them hey whatever you know byob as far and i always tell everybody the more you drink the better this presentation is going to get i need a drink to get yeah just keep doing it so what kind of what dinners do you have coming up or what what are the themes you have anything new coming out um we for halloween we don't do a lot of the new ones we try to catch up on some of the ones that people miss earlier in the year mm-hmm. uh, because most of the time the dinners always sell out in advance so we are doing um uh, the bell witch yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're doing the, the dead of course we're doing the limps um st louis exorcism uh we've got um a couple of other things coming up too um you know mixed in with the river road tours um we've got some in november ghost hunts mixed in there too and then i've got one with uh the haunted president that's coming up a little later in the year which is abraham lincoln sure. presentation that people really like so um yeah just if you're interested go to altonhauntings.com and you can see what's left of all that stuff and join us for one of the tours because we have um you know all the, the alton tours are always popular every year anyway but mm-hmm. we've cut down the number of people so we're encouraging people to book ahead um, just to make sure that they can go because we don't have, we're not allowing as many people this year. So it makes it a little easier to, yeah. you know, hopefully next year, none of this stuff's going to matter. But for now, you know, we're trying to be as careful as we can and as safe as we can. And um, we, we've, everything's gone really well. We started back up in the summer and we had tours, we did events, we did bus tours, we've done dinners and everything's going pretty well. Um, our first river road of the season is this coming weekend or well, will the illusion of this coming weekend um, so yeah, should be, it should be fine. And so we're, we're really looking forward to it. We've got our ghost hunts and our overnights and things, um, in different places. And a lot of that stuff really is filled up already, but for what's left, uh, with the ghost hunts for this fall, just go to ghosthunts.net and you can see everything we've got. And those are great because they're already small groups. So, um, those have really worked out. We were able to do some in different States, even, you know, earlier in the summer than we would have normally just because the groups were so small. And so that's going to continue on. Awesome. Okay, well, we have some new listener reviews that I want to run through. So this one is from K Anderson 510 It's titled, Finally, Some Truth to the Legends. Just letting you know I've listened since the beginning. I love the focus on one city at a time and truly appreciate the true straight facts. And please, 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 more audiobooks. I don't have time or patience to read a book anymore. Um, I feel you. Um, we'll see what happens with this, you know, the first one you have and, and go from there. Yeah, we'll see. 
Uh, this next one's from, oh boy, Kiki84Kitty. Uh, my favorite podcast says, this is the podcast I've been looking for. I'm a St. Louis local and I'm loving the Alton and St. Louis coverage. Can't wait to burn through all the episodes. Thank you. And I love the audio quality and background music. <laughs> People are so conflicted, but thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I know shit was really rough in the beginning and every now and then we'll slip up too, but I'm really trying and I've learned a lot and it's... Just thank you. Um, okay. <laughs> this last one's from Cosmic at World. It's just a fab. I love your episodes about New Orleans and uh, about the vampire stories. Thanks. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, you ready to dive into this story? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, this is, this one, I know it's not a long episode and, um, and it, it, it isn't, it doesn't seem like it's going to fit with the rest of the way I describe the season. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like it was so important to include it. Um, I mean, uh, honestly, I, I did not put this in my original list. This mm-hmm. is the one that I really on the fly just went, shit, we need to do something about the water. Yeah. As I'm sure that many people said in the late 1800s in we Los Angeles, about the water. we need to do something about the water. There isn't any. Um, you know, you're, you're talking about a place built right on the edge of the ocean, filled with water that no one can drink. Mm-hmm. And L- L.A. was built in the desert. There is no water there. Yeah. There's no natural water source in Los Angeles. So, um, you know, there may have been some wells and things in the early days, but not enough to, you know, to provide drinking water for an entire city. And I, I don't think honestly, they ever knew how large LA would become. Mm-hmm. And well, so you? when you have, I know when you have millions of people depending on water, it just became this ongoing desperation need through the first, you know, three decades of the 20th century, where can we get more water? Mm -hmm. And there wasn't any. So they had to look pretty far away to find it. Um, Hundreds of miles away to find water up in the mountains and to pipe it in. And, um, you know, and I talked about it. I I would encourage, you know, I wanted to tell the overview of the story and kind of explain why water became so important. Plus, this has got a cool ghost story behind it. Yeah. And it's a it's 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 a good story. And so I wanted to include it because without without, you know, the water, there'd be no Los Angeles. But um, I would encourage anybody to delve into this deeper. Mm -hmm. There are a couple of really good books um, about uh, bringing water into LA. Water for the Angels is one. It's a really good book about Mulholland and, you know, what really as as just evil and corrupt the things they did to the people in Owens Valley yeah. to get their water and just completely ruin their lives because they took all their water away mm-hmm. and sent it to Los Angeles because it was just this giant thing that was just sucking up all the water in Southern California and still is. Yeah. Um, and as I mentioned, uh, I think our last episode, I'm, I hopefully, um, even though we pretended like it's been two weeks, it hasn't. No, it's um, not. So Cody has not watched Chinatown yet, but I'm hoping not. that by the next, next time we record episodes, I will get him to watch it. I it's, can do that. It's two hours and you will, you will enjoy it. It is a I great, can commit to that. it is a, it is a masterpiece of American cinema. Okay. I, it really is. Okay. No, no kidding. It really is. Um, even though Roman Polanski is a creep, and oh he's boy. The one who oh it. Boy. but even so it's a fantastic film and water plays a really important part in the movie. It's a huge subplot to the film mm. about the getting water into LA. And so I would encourage people to, to delve into this a little deeper, you know, beyond what we covered in this episode. I mean, I tried to hit the highlights, but it's it's a fascinating story 
to see how this place was built mm-hmm. and you know how what an important role that water played in it. So yep. anyway, that's that's I just wanted to explain why I wanted to put it into this season and it was a ghost story. Yeah. So there you go. It's a ghost story. Yeah. Is it, didn't Vegas have like a similar problem too? Yeah, but they actually had they actually had wells oh, in Vegas, okay. even though they're in the desert. That mm-hmm. Las Vegas was around for a long time before it became. And actually, believe it or not, we're actually going to tiptoe into Las Vegas oh during this season. Okay. So a little bit when we get to some of the mobster stuff in ah, L.A. Nice. Uh, but yeah, they, they actually had water. Mm-hmm. Um, L.A. did not. It just didn't. They didn't have a natural source of water. So fair enough. Yeah. OK, well, as you said, so March, March 12th, 1928, you said water is the lifeblood of Los Angeles. The St. Francis Dam fails, releases 11 billion gallons mm-hmm. of water, kills over 600 people. Um, we'll get that into we, that number. That we, yeah, that's yeah. yeah. We'll get into that. A I think bit. I'm gonna have to have Renee explain to me how like aqueducts and things work now too, because I'm very curious after. after yeah, all of this. yeah. She would be, she would have been a great guest for explaining it's dams true. and things yeah. on this. I think, but it's like so you just build a big wall and let a bunch of water. Well, run that's up essentially what he did, um, and that's where we got into trouble here. But you know, when it came to the aqueducts, though, I mean, dude was a he really was a genius. He seemed to do a really I mean, good job with building this. building those aqueducts. That was something that people didn't believe could be done. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was an impossible job to build an aqueduct that ran 233 miles right. from the Owens Valley down to LA. And no one thought it could be done. And he made it work. Um, and it took years to build. But I mean, this guy designed it. He was there on the spot putting this thing together. I mean, he you know, was there when they, you know, the... The, the grifters and the politicians were ruining everybody's lives in the Owens Valley. Mm-hmm. And then he, but that wasn't the kind of thing that really, that wasn't his, that wasn't his part of the job. His job was to make it work. Right. And he did. I mean, it's, uh, it, he's in, he is an interesting character. He well, really is. I love self-taught engineer. That makes yeah. me nervous. Well, yeah, but you know, lots of people were back at that sure. time. You're talking about the, you know, the end of the 19th century, early 20th century. There, there weren't a lot of schools for things like that. I mean, Abraham Lincoln became an attorney because he read a law book. Oh, really? I mean, that's all you had to do back then. I mean, it wasn't, you know, yeah, and you, you, you figure out how the law works and then you call yourself an attorney. Fair it's enough. like doctors, you know, back in the mid 1800s, they really didn't have to know a lot <laughs> um, just because there was really no medical schools or anything sure. to speak of, you know, at the time. And so it was, we've talked about that in past episodes about how much easier it was to be a doctor in the just middle everybody 1800s. Cocaine, right. Whatever, yeah, yeah. right, exactly. So, you know, when, you know, he, he became an engineer because he was able to prove that the things he designed would work. I mean, that's that's really he had been working for the city in the waterworks for a while and mm-hmm. had been putting together these, you know, sewer and water projects in the city. And so people knew that he knew what he was doing. And then when he said, I can build this aqueduct, they went, well, I mean, look at all the other stuff he's done. Let's give it a shot. Fair enough. And he did it. I mean, and he did it. So, you know, putting him in charge of a dam you know, didn't seem like a dumb idea <laughs> at, the time. Uh, at the time, you know, um, even though he, you know, as we talked about, as I talked about in the story, he, you know, never had any independent checks on it. Mm-hmm. He'd never gotten, he'd never gotten any uh, outside opinions or I mean, it was his way or the highway kind of thing. And right. he decided this was how it was going to work. And instead of 
making the dam stronger. He just made it taller. Yeah. Because he figured that that would kind of spread out the, the space, you know, the power of the water behind right. it. And not counting on the fact that it was already leaking and the, the, the rock that it was built on was not stable. You know, it wasn't stable enough for that kind of pressure right. behind it, you know. And while it seems simple to us, we're not engineers either. No. But on the other hand, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I could build a dam. No, hell either. no. Um, a dam and an aqueduct are two very different things. Right. Um, and that that I think is where things just kind of went over his head. In over his head. And, yeah. and I love, you mentioned that he was so disgusted by the way the water had been taken by the city um, that at the opening ceremony for the aqueduct, <laughs> which should have been his proudest moment, he merely waved his hand at the water and said, there it is, take it. Yeah, he was done. Well, you know what? He was ready to move on to something else. Well, yeah. You know, he had more aqueducts to build because, you know, even though this was a huge achievement of getting this water from Owens Valley, mm-hmm. wasn't enough. Yeah. It was never enough yeah. because, never you know, enough it's water. the 1920s and now people are flooding into L.A., and it would continue to Good be that word. way into the 30s. Well, yeah, right, <laughs> right. Pandemic. Hey. Um, and into the 1930s, when first it's the 20s, where you've got all these Hollywood hopefuls coming out there trying to make it big in show business. And then in the 1930s, you've got all these people flooding it. Damn it. I'm going to yeah. quit saying that. You got all these people coming in from the Dust Bowl and, you know, the Depression era. The Okies are on right. their way out. And so there's always more people in L.A. L.A. is just drowning in people. Well, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, if if it's not one industry, it's another. If it's not, you know, making movies, it's picking lettuce. Right. And people are coming there because that's, you know, it's the land of opportunity. Sure. And so as more and more people come in more and more water is needed. Right. And with no water source, you got to figure out where it's going to come from. Mm-hmm. And they thought, well, let's build a big reservoir. And, you know, that was something that he'd been eyeing this canyon anyway, and this, this river mm-hmm. as to use as some kind of water source. But they thought, well, let's, let's back it up. We'll hang on to all that water. It takes two years to fill it, but we'll have this backup water in case, you know, there's a drought in the Owens Valley or right. wherever, you know, and we need more water. We're going to have it. It's just going to be sitting there waiting for us. And they, they have that now. There's reservoirs all over the place, mm-hmm. you know, feeding water into L.A. But at the time, this was a novel idea. And I just hope that the dams they built after that are... <laughs> A little more secure a little than St. Francis turned out to be. Right. So. Now it's just a bunch of TikTokers yeah. flooding into L.A. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned, okay, they start building a dam very quietly in 1924. Rock's not really ideal for this type of dam. Reservoir begins to fill up. 1926, several cracks appear um, in the dam and it supports. They keep finding more issues, but Mahalan's like, eh, no, no, it's, it's fine. It's like a big it, piece of concrete. It's supposed to have cracks. It's supposed so. to have cracks. Yeah. Next thing you know, a wave 125 feet high hits the cottage of dam <laughs> right. keeper Tony uh, Harnish- Harnishfager. Harnishfager. Yeah, that's quite a name. Yes, it is. Oh. So he was a dam keeper. He and his family lived uh, kind of at the bottom of the dam, I yeah, guess. Yeah, which or, seems like the, a horrible place to live. But yeah. I'm going to say that he probably, you know, um, there was already a house there because it was just along the, the, the river. Mm-hmm. And so when the dam caretaker needs a place to live, well, let's put him in this house. I mean, it is an incentive yeah. to keep checking the dam every yeah, day yeah. because your house is right in the path of if anything goes wrong, you're screwed. Right there. And I'm sure he knew that because there were people who said that they saw lights at the that bottom night. of the dam that night. And that, you know, there's there's two ways to go with that. It, it, it might have been Tony 
checking the dam because mm-hmm. he'd already inspected it once that day and found the cracks. Plus, then the people that were driving over it that found that the road had lowered a foot. Yeah. Seems like an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could have been that or the, you know, the, the waterworks in L.A. tried to suggest this had been sabotage. That oh, someone okay. had, while they're trying to get out from underneath the responsibility for this thing, right. they're suggesting that it might have been sabotaged. So suddenly someone conveniently comes up with an eyewitness account of seeing lights at the bottom yeah. of the dam, like, ooh, maybe somebody put a bomb down there or something. So we don't, I don't even know if that's true. Right. I mean, for all we know, Tony was asleep in bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his, you know, his living girlfriend and his, you know, they found her body, but they never found his or his son's. Or the I kid, mean, yeah. They washed away. Yeah. Them and everyone else that was along the river, yeah. including the, this huge camp of Mexican migrant workers that were in the area to, to pick fruit. Uh, were camped down there along the river because, well, it's a water source and it's a good camping spot. Nobody expected it to. So you're just, you're just sitting collapse. there, and it's it's 125 <laughs> feet high of a, of a wave and just water and concrete basically, yeah. like yeah, and rock and just all that sandstone and mica and everything that came with it, trees, you know, God. boulders, everything comes with it, and just. I mean, imagine what that must have looked like. You're talking about a nope. canyon. You were talking about a wave. It's 125 feet high, and it's dragging all this stuff with it. Yes. And it's just buzzing down this canyon and, you know, and then scooting off to the sides and flooding towns built along the river yeah. and along the canyon. And this wave runs 55 miles to the Pacific All the ocean. way to the ocean. I think if I saw that Carrying coming, bodies with it as I, it went. I think I'd honestly just sit down. I just, <laughs> you know, like, what would you do? Like, I mean, you know, all you could do is hope for the best. And I don't think that probably with 11 billion gallons of water coming at you, I don't think there is a best. I, well, I, I, were, I don't know what We were talking be. about earlier, like, I feel like if I actually saw this... I don't think my brain would no. be able to comprehend no. it. I don't I think don't I think think it was real. I, no. I, I just think I'd blow a gasket probably. It'd be like fight or flight or I sit think right this there would and make not move. A, I think this would make a great movie. Though. I was wondering. I was going to ask mean, you why about isn't that. there a Mulholland movie about, you know, some of this stuff? Because yeah. there's all this, you know, there'd be violence and scandal and controversy Drama, and yeah. stuff. And then it ends with this dam that he's supposed to be his crowning achievement. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, bigger than the aqueduct, you know, and everything. And then this thing collapses and just wipes out this whole section of mm. people and towns and everything. I mean, everything within range of this flood was just wiped out. I mean, you're talking about bodies and bodies all over the place. And, you know, in 1928, they thought it was 385 dead people. And then they just keep finding bodies. Talk to, you said they found them all the way till 1992. Yeah. They found, one yeah, more? They found um, bodies underground near uh, Newhall, California in 1992. That's crazy. And were able to determine that they had come, that had been washed there by the flood. And, um, and, you know, people were showing up for until the 50s, they were finding bodies. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't even count how many, I mean, no one knows, you know, they didn't count, they don't know how many migrant workers were parked out or were sure. living down there. They also don't know about how many bodies washed out into the ocean and just were never found. Mm-hmm. I mean, they found some bodies all the way down in Mexico right. that had washed, you know, uh, out. So that's why they guess it to be uh, more than 600 people, but they don't even know for sure. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. There's nobody knows how many people just who died there. Jeez. Yeah. So, so you said, yeah, to this day, the exact number of victims remains unknown. Official death toll, yeah, 385. Um, and all they had, all the way to 1992. That's crazy. But so yeah. Mulholland tries to take the blame, um, which is good. Well, and yeah. Noble. I mean, yeah, it is noble um, because, you know, he didn't. Um, and, you know, whether that was his idea or the city's, it's <laughs> right, hard to say. Right, but right. You, I'd like to think it was his, that he realized that he'd really made a mistake here mm-hmm. and stepped in and said, listen, you know, this is all my fault. Don't try to blame it. I'm the one who built this thing. I'm the one who, you know, saw the cracks and didn't do it. I just, I, human, I made a mistake, bad judgment. And, you know, it was all <laughs> my, my fault. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, you have to look at it this way. It did kind of ruin his life. I mean, yeah, he, he, you know, went but he was into, cleared of charges, but did, did he yeah. did it ruin his life or did he like use this as like, I'm going to go well, self-isolate? I, mean, and I don't know. I, I think officially, you know, he, they, they said that, you know, he was cleared of charges because there was no way he could have known that the rocks were unstable, but I think he felt responsible. Um, I can I, understand I, that. I mean, he, yeah, I, me too. I mean, you know, they called it a self-imposed isolation, mm-hmm. but so it's like, it's not like anybody tarred and feathered him and ran him out of town. He just realized that he'd made a mistake and there was no way to fix it. And he just kind of gave up on everything, Yeah, you know, and ended up dying, you know, a few years later. Yeah. So yeah. Marks the end of his career, retires several months later, retreat, yeah, self-imposed isolation, yeah, yeah. um, dies in 1935 at the age of 79. How sad. That yeah. sucks. I mean, and I mean, is he is he more remembered for the good things that he did? You think? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, there's still you know Mulholland Drive. I mean, that's named oh, yeah. after okay. him in Hollywood. So, I didn't even think or of in that. L.A. I mean, so yeah. I mean, he's still seen as well. Let's be honest, the savior of L.A. Mm. Because I'm not sure anyone else could have built that that aqueduct that he built. Yeah. Um, and if it had not been for that aqueduct, that might have been the end of the city. So I mean. I, that's the story of Los Angeles, though. I mean, it's you got good in one hand and bad in the other, and you sometimes have to mix the two together because... And then it destroys uh, people. Yeah, a lot of bad things happen, and I don't know. You know, it's it's hard to say exactly. There's just so many things that, you know, as we'll find out as the season goes on, that, you know, there were so many things that happened that were awful, but then ended up, you know, being something great that, help the city. And that's awful to say that, but mm-hmm. there's nothing about the St. Francis dam collapse that helped the city. But on the other hand, the guy who was responsible for it is the guy who made sure that LA still exists today. Sure. So I don't know, I guess this just depends on how you want to look at it. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, I guess there's silver linings there. Uh, you want to talk about some of these ghost stories then? Yeah. It's, um, that area where the, you know, it's a park now, mm-hmm. but the Canyon is still there and where the dam used to be, uh, they turned that into a park. And then there have been stories about that park for years and years. Um, I mean, some of the first stories dated back to the eighties, people were talking about, you know, and these were like local historians were coming out there and having weird experiences that were happening to them. And to this day, people still talk about seeing apparitions out there and hearing noises and hearing people crying and seeing ghosts walking around, especially when it's foggy, they say, cause mm-hmm. which happens quite a bit, uh, cause it's a low area. And so the stories have been around for uh, quite a long time and there have been a lot of witnesses to them and people will, will swear it's true. And I mean, you have to assume that these are probably people who, you know, died in the flood. I, right. mean, I don't know who else they would be. Uh, but yeah, it is, a, it is a haunted spot. And that's why one of the, another reason why I really wanted to include it 
in this season is because this is a kind of a reminder of, you know, all the terrible things that could happen with good intentions. Sure. And we've talked about that a lot in past episodes, you know, things that the were, road to hell. were, yeah, we're done with good intentions and ended up, you know, causing, you know, tragedy and horror and hauntings in this particular case. So I like the story about the people who lived in the valley who had things moved on their farm, like the the big oh, water, yeah. the half ton watering trough. That's that, like some that like moved, alien that stuff. Someone moved it around. I know. Yeah. And the guy painting his barn, and there was the handprint of a kid on the barn and paint. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, you no, know, a, that's a, some creepy stuff there. Well, yeah, and then it? like just you're filming something in a cemetery and you get burned by acid, like. And yeah, they said that's what it was like. Camera I mean, catches on fire. Explain it. I don't know. It's weird shit. Um, let's see. Yeah, you said talk about where the migrant workers met their death, and then all the foggy, eerie stuff. People would be touched, pushed, caressed by invisible hands, and on other occasions, shadowy forms are seen walking in the mist. And then when they approach, they always vanish. So, have you been out there to, to check out this? Yeah, I've been there. I've been there spot? Uh, probably a. 15, 16 years ago, was oh. out to the park. I just wanted to see what it looked like. I thought you were like. going to say 15 or 16 times. Oh, saying, no, no, oh, no, no, no. I've only been there once. I just wanted to see what the what it looked like, uh-huh. you know, to get an idea of, you know, as I was interested in the story. So it was probably been that long ago, probably the first time I ever read the book about Mulholland and wanted to see, mm-hmm. you know, when I found out it was a park, I thought, well, hell, you know, I, I got to see this. You know? I'd be very interested to see like the canyon and stuff and try to just imagine yeah. the water like yeah. coming at you. I mean, and even, you know, and then to see like the before and after pictures of the dam, mm-hmm. you know, you see the, you know, you see it as it was built and it looks impressive. Yeah. I mean, it does. Um, but then there's nothing left but like the support posts and everything else is just gone. Jeez. It just collapsed. It just took everything with it. It's amazing. Oh, that's insane. Oh, geez. Okay, well, it's now time for our Ghostwriter segment. If you have a question or comment about the world of the macabre, you can email us at AmericanHauntingsPodcast at gmail.com. This uh, first email comes to us from Logan. The subject is a huge thank you. It says, hey, guys, just wanted to uh, say a big thank you to Troy Taylor for signing my copy of In the Boneyard and wishing me a happy birthday as well. Can't wait to read the book, which I will after I send this email. Keep up the great work, and I always look forward to a new episode of the podcast. Take care and be safe. So you, you, made yeah. his, you made his day, oh, man. Good. I'm glad. That's awesome. He's a nice guy. Yeah, he's yeah, been. He he's, posts a lot of stuff. He does, yeah. This, so. Yeah, so yeah. thank you. Um, yeah, send us an email and let's let's hang out. Let's be friends. I mean, I'll sign your book if you're not, even if you're not a nice guy, but Logan happens to be one, so. Do you know, Tro- <laughs> Troy has never signed any of my books for That's me. because you, like, take them and I don't know they're gone. For me, and yeah. I've, I asked him and I, he oh, thought I was being ironic and he would never <laughs> sign any of my books. You're such a liar. It makes me really sad. That's all I got, man. Okay. All right. Am I just wrapping this up now? Is this just how we're doing it? What? Like, I didn't know. Oh, you... did you want me to say something else? Yeah, just if yeah, you wanted to do, you know, rate and review. Yeah, I don't know why I just, just sat there and looked at you. I don't know. <sighs> we, so. we each have our roles. All right, well, let's wrap this up. Then. Yeah, let's wrap All right, up. so thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, we hope that you will continue, as you guys have been so great doing over our last four seasons, to continue to share this with your friends. We have at least 21 episodes to go in this season still. Oh um, and well, who knows, it may even be more than that. It so will be. if you enjoy it so far, or if you've enjoyed our past seasons, leave us a review on iTunes, or send us an email, or whatever you want to do. If you want to complain about something, send it to Cody. He'll be 
afraid to read it to me, so we won't have to worry about it. I'll never hear from it anyway. But um, anyway, we appreciate you guys uh, been so supportive with the podcast and we've been recording through the pandemic and everything else. And so everybody just please stay safe out there. Uh, keep your hands washed. Um, wear a wear a full head mask. Yeah. Just a you know, just a, your your entire head, just your eyes showing, nothing else. Um, and then that way, you we don't have to worry about you. So yeah. put a plastic bag over your head. Well, you could do that too. Um, that might be tough to breathe, though. I you know, oh, that's I, true. I do. I don't want anyone to die from the mask. Mm. So you know, I mean, that would be a medical condition. I could die. Uh, but That's I don't true. want that to happen. So okay, maybe we nix the plastic yeah, bag. Yeah, maybe nix the plastic bag. Um, just wrap mummy bandages. You know, like the Invisible Man. Yeah, yeah, would yeah. be awesome. And then they could put sunglasses on and like a smoking jacket. Isn't that what he's normally uh, wearing? So does the Invisible the Man always naked then? Yeah, I mean, well, because be. yeah, because you know, well, I'm thinking of like the Claude Rains Invisible Man well, rather sure. than the new one. But well, no, 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 I know he was wearing some, you know. Oh, spoiler alert! I don't want to say that, but Claude Rains really was invisible, mm-hmm. and um, he just wrapped his whole head with bandages. Right, Somebody, I remember that. It's a good look. I mean, it's a cool look. <laughs> I, I mean, mean, I think that it would be perfect for Halloween this year. That's true. It really would, that and you would true. never have to wear a mask because you would already have your head wrapped in bandages. Man, I might have to think about it? that. That's not a bad idea. I think. Well, Anyway, yeah, I don't know. I don't own a smoking jacket though, so I guess I'd have to figure out something else to wear. That surprises me. So why? I don't know. I, I feel like why? I feel like you would have something like, like that. Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, you know, like like a pipe. Or yeah, something. I just yeah. feel like you. I could see you with a pipe. <laughs> no. Got the beard, the tattoos, and stuff. Oh, I feel yeah, like that's I could really uh, that see you really all pipe. fits together. So anyway, um, I wow, way off track there. Don't anyway, guys, got here. Uh, stay safe, and we will see you next time around. Yes, yeah, so in this episode, of the American Hollies podcast was written by Troy Taylor. Aren't you glad I made this edited shorter? by no? me, Cody oh. Beck. Yes, I am. This show airs every other week, offering history, hauntings, folklore, legends, and the anymore. truth as we look so. into America's darkest corners. Check out the website at American Hauntings podcast.com for show notes more info about the episodes and links to more from american hauntings because american hauntings isn't just a podcast it's books tours events and more and our main website is americanhauntings.net and if you want even more from us you can be a supporter of the podcast on patreon you can get bonus episodes of the show t-shirts discounts great stuff in the mail and more hey do we are we still good on bonus episodes yeah, my still okay. have a few left Great. in the, okay. in the so, hopper there. Yeah, see, there's something that you're not hearing if you're just listening to this. It's true. We do have bonus episodes that are only available to our Patreon people. Sometimes they're Troy telling other stories. Sometimes, sometimes me Cody. doing movie reviews. Yeah. Sometimes All kinds of stuff. us interviewing random people. But yep. yeah, I mean, thanks to our supporters, we've upgraded our equipment for the show. And with continued help from you, we can dedicate more time and resources to creating even more shows in the future. Take a minute and check it out. We think you'll like what you find at patreon.com slash American Hauntings. Be sure to get in touch if you have comments about the show suggestions reviews jokes or just want to tell us what you really think of us we're reachable via email on twitter instagram facebook and by carrier pigeon and candy grams and candy grams until next time goodbye so long see ya 